going to put it when we're not. There's no place else. Yeah. Oh, the parlor's locked? The parlor is locked? Oh, okay. We could put a lock on it. No, on the key. Boy. You could put a lock on it. There's a like a bully bar. That's what we have on the one at school. On the grand at school. It locks it so that you can't open it to play it. It would be better if we could put it in the parlor, honestly, because the chapel fluctuates so much. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, everybody doing all right? Having a good week. Happy to be happy to be here. Be awake and good. It's good to see y'all. I do have one important announcement to make. It's uh, it's not super important, but how we had. Um, well, I like to actually. Welcome back, us senior youth band members. Um, me and Kevin, we had to invite Mandy to help. Sorry. But us young folk are going to be I up here leave. again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but with uh, how they celebrated the, the seniors, there's one more kid. I call him a kid because he's a kid, but now he's a young man. They actually just recently graduated. And I'm doing it while he's up there and not here, so he can't beat me up because he's big now. But uh, many of you may know Connor Jones. Many of you may not. But there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. Sunday morning is everything that he's important in and has done and made happen that wouldn't happen. So um, people at home that can't come can still get the word and just kind of participate in that way. Um, so congratulations, Connor Jones, on graduating. <laughs> But uh, the cameraman at WFMJ, so any news you see. And when stuff goes wrong here, too, it's also his fault. Remember that. Not, not my fault, his fault. And he's putting all sorts of stuff up on that video feed right now. That's right. <laughs> no, it was definitely my fault, but just wanted to acknowledge that and as a church thank him. Growing up so fast. But uh, if you want to stand, we'll, we'll pray and praise God. Father, we love you. Uh, this is your church. Uh, we're grateful to be part of it, uh, to serve you through it, to praise you through it, through the things we do. So uh, this morning, as we lift these songs to you, may they be a joyful noise as we hear your word. Uh, may it work in us, God. Uh, help us grow today. Help the church grow. Help all of us grow in your kingdom um, to expand just a little bit more today. Um, so we pray for everything going on. There's a lot of exciting things programs, events, and 
groups starting and gathering, so we just pray for your blessing on all that. Uh, we just give you this morning, God. We love you and we're here for you.
God, you are God. We will live for you in everything we do. There is no one like you. You are the only true in a world that's so confused. There is no one like you. There is no one like you, God. You are the only true in a world that's so confused. There is no one like you. You are God. You are God. We were made for you. Just for you, you are God, you are God. We will live for you in everything you are God, you are God. We were made for you, just for you, you are God, you are God. We will live for you. You may be seated. Kids, you're dismissed. All right. Well, how's everybody doing? Good to see you all. Hope everybody's enjoying uh, spring, summer, kind of arrived, got the memo. We sent it out several times, and finally it said, okay, I guess it's time to show up. So uh, glad for that. Uh, And now that's kind of settled in, uh, we can kind of see summer coming on the horizon, and I think everybody's pretty excited about that spending time with family, and um, we put a lot of hard work into the church this year, and I'm so happy about the outcome of that. We had a wonderful celebration of our seniors, which has been accumulation of a lot of hard work on the part, part of volunteers. As, as you know, they came up and they spoke, and, um, and then our kids uh, gave a presentation, and um, uh, Amy's son uh, did a, a hymn slash Elvis embodiment. <laughs> Uh, which was pretty cool. Um, enjoyed that. And it was kind of cool watching uh, Chris because I was sitting right back there and Chris's dad was about where Jeff was. And uh, he's real stoic. And then, and they, and then and Caleb gets up there and then he's like, he's rocking. He's just beaming. He's so proud. Uh, but isn't that, isn't that cool how uh, when we pour life into, into our kids, uh, we see fruit come out of it, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. But I, I believe always in some form. And uh, we've uh, recognized that as something vital to the life and the health of our church. Uh, so a lot of people do pour into our kids uh, on the kids' wing. And uh, Amy wants to celebrate that with the volunteers uh, after church. So if, you're, if you've been working down there, I uh, just want you to know that there's a volunteer luncheon prepared at 1130 for you guys just as a matter of appreciation. So if you've, you've been working with the kids or the nursery or uh, with, with the youth in some form, uh, please uh, uh, come and attend and, 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 and let us show our love to you for that. Uh, and it's interesting how that theme of pouring into people's lives 
uh, plays such a vital role in the formation of them. Another, another person I, I want to embarrass a little bit is I remember the day when Connor Jones's mom um, shuttled him here to have his first drum lesson for Brian. I remember that day vividly. I looked out the window, I saw him show up, and I, I remember thinking, what are those guys doing here? Well, what emerged out of that, I think, was a, a beautiful mentorship that uh, happened between uh, Brian and Connor, and um, we see the fruit of that. Uh, he's, now he's a very capable drummer and very capable technician, and Brian, I don't know what role you played in his uh, job with WKBN, but, or WFMJ. Sorry, Connor. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's always awesome that um, uh, you see things begin to sprout and grow and take on their own, their own form of life. Um, so that's a little bit of a, of a primer for what we're going to be getting into, not only today, but um, Jason's going to come in up at the end of the service, and he's going to tell us about how our men can stay healthy. So we're going to be launching a men's group as well, and uh, we want all you guys, if, uh, if, if you're able to join us, to be a part of that, because uh, as we pour into lives, we also need things to pour into our own lives so that we can stay healthy for the long run. Uh, but before we get there... I'd uh, just like to know if there's anything on your heart today that we can lift up before the Lord. I, I do want to mention, John, your, your uh, nephew, uh, Dominic, uh, suddenly passed at age 47. Uh, and so I know that you guys are grieving over that, and we want to keep you lifted up. Um, and uh, uh, just, just want you to know your church is, is, is behind you guys. And um, also want to mention um, Ed Sheen is going to be having rotator cuff surgery on the 16th. Uh, so please keep Ed lifted up. Um, and Sammy's doing pretty good, I gather, from her, her surgery. So that's a praise. And uh, let's see, what else do I have? Um, well, let's just find out if you guys have anything right now. Is there anything on your heart that you just want to... Marie? Okay. Yeah, so... Um, uh, just remember uh, Marie Bartle's husband, who's having some memory loss issues, and I know it's been a challenge for you. So uh, just um, want to keep her lifted up as they go through that experience together, and hopefully they can find some answers. Anybody else? All right. Kendall? We have a praise. Oh. All right. <laughs> no more trips to fix her car. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she was just little when I came here. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, she's going to be in Pittsburgh working uh, in her, with her degree, I guess. It market, is it marketing or what, what is it exactly? I can't remember. Yes. Kind of, yeah. I know that um, she shared with me that part of her job at the time was to work around tools and things like that that are, you know, our language. And she could just rattle off all the details. And I'm like, I'm impressed. Um, as a sidebar, I was trying to repair my, my lawnmower, and there are people that do how to, how to fix stuff, and, and, uh, they, and, and they just do the research, and then, and then they write, like, a list of things you do. And um, I, I was kind of cracking up a little bit. You know, appreciate this. Um, they were telling you the, the steps, and then they said, okay, to take the little screws out, you need a monkey wrench. And I'm like, do, do you use a monkey wrench for any? I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, I don't think this person knows what they're talking about. However, Macy does. 
Uh, her dad's insured that. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and take this time before the Lord and these concerns, and, um, and let's just keep them lifted up uh, this week as well if you've written them down. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that your mercies are new every morning. You draw us into your presence through the grace of Jesus and the profound love that you have for each of us. Lord, you see each of us collectively as your people, but even more intimately as your family. And then you look at us personally and you say to us, you are my child and you are the reason why I sent my son into the world because I love you that much. And Father, help us to receive that and to know that that is the posture of your heart towards us, while at the same time, we see a gap between who you are and where we are, because we, as you know, Lord, are embedded in a lost and confused set of circumstances called the world. And we have a hard time grasping your presence and the just the magnitude of who you are and how much you want to be a part of our lives. But even more so, Lord, we have a hard time grasping how we were made for you, as we just sang. And so I, I pray for the message as it's being shared today, that it would help us to close the gap between where our minds and hearts are and where yours is, Lord. And I pray for us as a church that you help us in the needs that we have brought because there are wounds, there are trials, there are circumstances that um, you know vividly, uh, but some of us even privately have, haven't had um, the willingness to, to, to just show how much our hearts hurt. And we thank you, Father, that in every case you're there to help. And Lord, we know sometimes our best prayer is, Lord, help me, and you respond to that willingly. And so I, I pray for those uh, like um, John and Peg and their family as they grieve. Please just give them your mercy as they go through uh, a time of saying goodbye, but trusting in the hope of the resurrection. I pray, Father, for Marie and her husband as they go uh, on this journey of trying to sort through the issues that he's facing right now. I just ask that you be with Ed uh, in a couple of weeks, that the rotator cuff surgery would be effective and accomplishing what he needs for uh, the mobility of his arm. And just thank you, Father, for the ways that you're helping our friends who are going through cancer. We just ask that you would continue to remove those things that are invasive to their bodies and replenish them with things that are fearfully and wonderfully crafted by you. Lord, we ask that as you draw us into this place to receive your word, that our hearts would be open to that. So I ask that the words that I say would be reflective of your intent. And I pray, Father, that the outcome of that would be us pouring into the lives of the people around us, especially our kids. And I just thank you, Father, for being with our church and our community uh, last week when they had the, um, the, the, the alert at the school and they had to evacuate. Thank you for just helping us to host that and to be able to uh, be a place of sanctuary for them. And um, we just pray for our school system and for all those who are administrators, who are teachers, who are 
those supporting all of the necessary elements that you would bless them and protect them and just enable them in a fearful moment to know your peace and to know your protection and your care. Um, and so, Father, as we just lift up our community and our people around us, we pray that you would move us forward as a church. Thank you for what we've seen you do in hearts and minds, and I just pray that we continue to be open to your leading, even as we make the plans that you would direct the path. And um, we ask that you just attune ourselves to you and your will and your purpose as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, um, if you have your Bibles with you or some electronic device that you're not tempted to go surfing while the message is happening on, um, please uh, just refer to John chapter 4. We're going to be wrapping up a section that John put together that started at a wedding in Cana, and it concludes with the healing of an official son in Cana. And John intentionally, when he wrote his gospel, almost a, a generation and a half later after Jesus accomplished everything, crafted these words and these ideas so that they would stick and we could remember them. And a lot of times when biblical writers write something, they'll say what they're going to say, They'll say a few more things, and then they'll go back to kind of where they were at the beginning. And that's a pretty normal pattern. And what's happening in John's gospel also is, um, is, a, is, is an appeal or a call for you and I to believe. Perhaps the most famous gospel of all of them, as people talk about you know, their favorites, uh, but it's also one that you've seen a key verse from, in all kinds of environments, including sporting arenas. And maybe you know it, John 3.16. And if you've ever memorized it, or if you've ever been around people that have used it, you know that it just sticks. Do you know it? How does it go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course, um, maybe some of you went so far as to read John uh, 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But the important word that John uses repeatedly is that word belief. And I think it is the primary driver behind why you're here. We are assembled in an understanding that as we look around and we see the faces of people around us, we know that there's also another, another person that's shown up, uh, and that's God. And I think that is exactly why churches, throughout all the persecutions, throughout all the trials, through all the dark moments, they persisted through time because of all the organizations out there, only one can lay claim to the fact that God shows up in the form of Jesus time and time again. And we celebrate that every time we gather. 
Um, and it is just something that we've learned to kind of trust. But getting to that place isn't always easy. And usually it involves some kind of great big challenge or trial. Probably if I were to ask some of you guys, if you didn't grow up into the church, why you're here. And you'll tell me that the reason why I started coming to church was, A, somebody invited me and I just it kind of stuck. Or B, perhaps I came because I had so much going on in my life. I was so overwhelmed. I was so hurting. I was so broken. Or you can just name whatever it is, that thing that you feel like I cannot overcome without the help of God. And you're driven to a place where you're like, I need answers. And the church, I hope, is the place I can find them. And as Jesus sort of set these things up, he wanted us to recognize him in that process. And it, and it really starts uh, by just paying attention and then figuring out who Jesus is based on how he responds to your need. And we're going to see that come alive as we read John um, chapter 4, verses uh, 43 and following. So let's put that up there. After the two days he departed for Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now I want to put a picture up there of what's behind this slide, and that is a map. Uh, in case you, you, know, you, you are pre-GPS, uh, that's what a map looks like. And um, the map of the Holy Land actually has a prominent uh, body of water that's called the Sea of Galilee at the top, and then at the bottom it's got the Dead Sea. But what's important to recognize is that uh, at the bottom is also Jerusalem, and then in between uh, Judea, where Jerusalem is, it's kind of like a state, uh, is sort of the state of Samaria, and it is a place that uh, it's a no-go zone. And then above Samaria is another place called Galilee. And so a true Jewish person of that day would say, we're Galileans or we're Judeans. But the one thing we can thank God for is we are not Samaritans. And that really was the attitude. Um, so in that land that's sandwiched in between, there are people that in the history of God's people... Um, were deeply connected at one point, and then they got disconnected, and then they kind of went their own way. And for whatever reason, God said, despite the fact that they're lost, I'm still coming after them. And John's gospel really is about how Jesus wanted to broadcast. All of you guys, whether you know it or not, were made for me, God's saying, not me. And Augustine even echoed that by saying, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. There's something about God reconnecting our lives with his that is life-giving and life-changing. And the story that we're about to read is how Jesus brings life into somebody who's otherwise been discounted and and basically um, alienated from the people of God. He's an official for Herod's household, and Herod is sort of a false king, and the official is probably more Roman in his mindset than he is Jewish. And Jesus is saying, I came for, I came for him. 
that person who is actually not even really of my people. Just like he says to us, I came for you and you and you. And as, as that's being sort of broadcast in this gospel, the response is really the critical thing. How do we respond to the fact that God comes for us? Well, in the Cana to Cana experience, you have Nicodemus, Nick at night, showing up as a premier Jewish religious leader in the shadows. Hey, Jesus, tell me a little bit more, but we can't let anybody see me here because if I get caught with you, then it's going to be bad. And Nicodemus really doesn't show a profound trust and faith in Jesus. Of all the people that should have, he, however, had some kind of cloudiness about what this all meant. But what's interesting, as John tells the story, he goes to Samaria, and this lady says, Aha, you are the Messiah. And she tells everybody, and the response was, as we read, everyone believed. And so he's in his hometown, and in this case, John opens up his gospel with this saying. In John 1.11, he came unto his own, but his own would not receive him. Now imagine that, being a generous God who says, I have everything imaginable in store for you. I want to bless you, but it has to occur through a vital reconnection and a turning away from things that have distracted you and captivated you and a turning back towards me. And John just opens up the gospel and just bluntly says, I showed them and they wouldn't have it. I came to my own people and they said, we don't value the significance of who you are on our landscape. And I wonder, do you, how much of a place does Jesus play in your heart? How significant is he truly in the course of today, tomorrow, the next five days of the work week? Is he someone that you say, yeah, I not only believe that he came and that he is God, I believe him enough to follow him wherever he leads me through the course of the week and to adopt his way of life. That's what he's after. And if you look at the scripture, you find that um, John, John sends him back to Galilee. And he goes to a place called Cana, which, of course, is where the wedding was, where he did his first miracle, his first sign. And the second sign that John records is about to happen. And so we pick up in verse 46. So he came again to Canaan and Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So he's reminding us, hey, let's come full circle. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. He's kind of calling them out here because there's something about the spectacular that we long for to validate the fact that, well, maybe there is a God after all. Or, you know, maybe if you've watched a lot of crypto shows on TV, maybe there are ghosts after all. Maybe there's a Bigfoot after all. Maybe there's UFOs after all. 
whatever that thing is that is not normal, you're saying, perhaps. And Jesus is saying, okay, I'll show you something spectacular, but you're really not going to believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come, before my, come down before my child dies. And so he, he's not just saying that. He's, he's actually demanding that as an official. He's used to ordering people around. He's saying, I need you to come before my child dies. He's in this place of desperation. And if you are a parent or you have kids that you poured your life into, you're paying attention to them constantly, so much so that when something starts to go south in their lives, your, your red flags start to pop up. And you're asking that question, what's going on with this person? And maybe you've said that about your own children regarding a season of life that they're in. They're really struggling. And I I remember when one of my kids was really struggling with with some bullying at school, and we sent him to Heartland, and um, and, uh, he he, uh, basically uh, spent some time there, got a new group of friends, got his confidence back, kind of got rooted in the Lord, and um, went back to high school and... I felt like he was anchored enough that he could hold his own. But there was a red flag that came up, a couple of them, and we responded. And many of you have had those moments where you've said, we've got to do something here. And the thing about God is, if we ask him, he will respond. And he will respond in the way that creates the best outcome. Not always in the way that you and I think he needs to respond, but he has a very long game when it comes to his children and when it comes to you. And some of us are praying for loved ones and have prayed for loved ones that they would get their hearts right with the Lord. And we're like, I'm not seeing a God. I'm not seeing a God. I'm not trusting you, God. And what this story is getting ready to tell us is that God works in ways that we don't always see when the thing that needs to happen happens. And so when the man, when the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You have to travel from Cana to Galilee, which is where Capernaum is. It's where all the wealthy people live along the lakefront. And you got to touch him and you got to heal him. Because in his mind, that's how it worked. But Jesus said to him, Go. He commanded him back, you go. Your son will live. Now, I want, I want you to just kind of capture what's happening here because he's an official in Herod's household. It's like working in the White House. He could tell people to do whatever needed to happen, and they would do it. So he wasn't used to being ordered around, especially by a lowly Galilean peasant. And yet this lowly Galilean peasant had enough significance in his own mind that when he said to him, go, he responded. Now, he wasn't wearing, you know, Armani suits, Jesus. He wasn't basically representing in a way that said, I've got a lot of social value. He just had the weight of character that when you you met him, You just caught the sense that he is the real deal. And so this official of all people, a non, perhaps probably a non-Jewish person, well, he went. Scripture says, the man 
believed. Remember John 3.16? Whosoever believes. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He's like, all right. If you say it, that's, that's good enough. And when he went down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now let that soak in for a minute because there's probably nothing more heartbreaking than not only seeing children go through difficult times in school, but to recognize they have a a health concern. And you really don't know if you're going to if this is going to cascade into something that could be devastating or if it's something that they're going to recover from. And so there's always an anxiety or an unease about that. And we have a, a friend that, uh, it's a colleague of, of Mandy's who has a child that um, uh, he, he's struggled his whole life. And um, they don't know from year to year if he's, he's going to live. And he got to play his first baseball game this year. But then she came back and she said, I don't know if next year we're going to be doing the same thing or be at another place in life. And there is just this deep sense of connectedness that almost redefines us to a place where if something happens to them, it's like a part of us even dies. And if you can capture that for a minute, I honestly believe that we were meant for him And he was meant for us. And when there's something about us that's disconnected from him, there's a part of him, and I'm talking about God, there's a part of him that feels that same sense of unease until things are brought back to the right place. And John captures this beautifully. And in a lot of ways, I, I never really could relate to God well until I started working with um, when I started going to church, I, I actually started working with the youth and um, was good friends with the youth pastor, and we'd go to camps and stuff, and, and we, we would pour into these kids, and we'd see them get baptized, and, and it was so, so exciting because you almost felt like a father figure for the first time in my life, and there was a sense of, this is kind of what it feels like when God sees me, and then you have your own children, and then you're like, wow, I have a whole different view of you now, God. I see how you saw me. And yeah, it's hard. And as this man is just desperate, he he reminds me of, of people that kind of are looking at a last resort chance to restore life. I mean, I can imagine him going to all the doctors, taking all the medications, going to the local medicine man, going to the television evangelist, saying, can you heal my child? And I can just see the desperation, and nothing works. And then he catches wind of these rumors that are happening that say, hey, you know what? Jesus, who's from Nazareth, just down the road, he went down to Jerusalem, and he's performing some miracles, and uh, people are talking about all over the place. And for a second, the thing that he thought he was unable to grasp 
hope was all of a sudden recaptured. And out of a spirit of desperation, he says, I've heard about him. I've paid attention to him. I, I want to believe that he can heal my son. And as Jesus is doing the thing that represents God's heart so well, he's only concerned about one thing, that is the official. I just want my son to get better. That's all I want. Just fix him, and we'll go home. And our lives will be back to normal again. But there's something happening inside of his heart that happens inside of, I think, everybody's heart whenever belief starts to germinate and grow and take on a life of its own. And it's not anything that you and I can do on our own, but rather, as the Scripture is very clear, it can only happen by the power of God at work in a person's life to regenerate them. That is the only way that we can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way that occurs isn't just, hey, you know what, God picks you but doesn't pick you. Here's how I think it happens. We either cry out in desperation and God shows up and says, hey, I'm here. Or somebody we know has been praying for us and asking and pleading and petitioning through the course of a month or a week or a year or a decade, Lord, would you come into their, their life? Would you speak the truth to them? Would you regenerate them so that they could discover what it means to have their eyes open so they could find life? Because the scripture is very clear that without Jesus, there really is no life. There are just a bunch of egos trying to do their very best to survive. I mean, it's, if you look at TV and media and stuff like that, it's, it's just a constant theme of people are doing what they have to do to survive and get by and, 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 and get over in the world. But they're also longing for a community. But if I, if I have to win to survive, then I can't really be connected and embodied in in, in a corporate life in a way that's soul-satisfying. And so the world just wanders around, sort of imitating what the church has as a reality. It longs for it, but it's so threatened and needs to survive so badly under the harsh conditions of the world that John even goes so far as to say that Satan is the ruler of this world. He's in charge. And without Jesus basically taking your life and transporting out of, it, out of that kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of, of everything good and life-giving and blessing, you're stuck there. How do we, how do we cross that divide? Belief. Do you believe? And not just do you believe, do you believe in a way that says, yeah, I've cried out to God and he's given me the capacity to have that sort of saving faith. 
Do you believe in God because somebody's been praying for me so long that I've just been avoiding you, God, at every turn, but you keep showing up everywhere I go, and now I've just, I, I surrender. And this guy, he wasn't even looking for that. But when he cried out to Jesus, Jesus said, I, I've got something for you. And it's not exactly what you're looking for. It's actually a lot more. But that's the way God is. You know, we think that if we, if we believe in Jesus, he's going to come into our house. And he's going to take everything that we think is important. And in some cases, he does. But what he does in response to the things that he takes out of our life that we are worshiping, that we are fixated on, that we know are not life-giving, he replaces them. Sort of like, I'm going to take all this stuff off the mantle, Leonard. Is that okay? Uh, Well, you're Jesus, I guess so. But then I'm going to put stuff back on there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And other ornamentations that um, are representative of his presence in your life. He does that. And this official didn't even see it coming. Well, the man's son, he lived. And right at the hour that Jesus said, hey, he's good. The servant said, it was yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And the scripture says, and he himself believed. Now, that's that's not something that um, uh, is is just a, a minor detail in the story. But rather, it is the substance of everything that Jesus is about. I mean, even, I mean, there's another story of a father who loves his son so much that he desperately brings him before Jesus in Mark chapter 9. Um, we read a similar story for, uh, for guys who are looking at their kid and they're saying, I will do whatever. I will, I will give my life for this person. I will give a kidney. I will whatever. And so there's a man in the crowd and he answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit that was ro- that's robbed him of his speech. So imagine how horrifying that is. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, which is also terrifying if you've ever seen anybody do that, which I have. It's, it's probably one of the most disturbing things that, that you'll, you'll see, and your, and your heart just breaks for the person who is uncontrollably going through that. And he watched his son gnashing his teeth and becoming rigid. And I, and I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And what does Jesus say? Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and Jesus basically fixed him. And verse 23 says, well, you said, if you can. I say, everything is possible for who believes. And immediately the boy's father said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I would say for any believer, mature, immature, somewhere on the continuum in between, 
we should all have bundled into our prayers, I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. Because actually what that is doing is you're giving God permission to go to work in your life so that the things that are clouding your ability to see like Nicodemus and how they obscure that view of who Jesus really is and the significance of it, God will begin to take that stuff away. And it might be painful. It might be something that is sacred to you, but in his mind, it's not as important. And if you, if you pray the prayer, help me overcome my unbelief, it's not going to be like he's just going to wave a wand and he's going to say in some kind of Harry Potter fashion, I'm just going to give you magically that thing that will help you to believe. No, God doesn't work that way. He will take the circumstances of your life. He will take where your heart is in relation to them. He will take the difficulties you face. He will take the things that tempt you, things that test you, things that you kind of idolize in your mind and fixate on, and he'll say, we got to work on that because that's getting in the way of you believing. Not everybody wants that. Nicodemus for sure. He believed in Jesus, but hey, I'm an important person in this community. I'm, I'm looked upon in the religious establishment as a leading voice. I have position and power and clout and resources. And if I get too close to you, I'm going to lose it all. And John records, yeah, he had a lot of unbelief. And John also records that Nicodemus is next reported at the foot of the cross. And a lot of time occurs between, hey, I want you, but I don't want you. And that clarity of the moment that says, nothing else matters but you. And that really is the journey for all of us, where we can come to that heartfelt, sincere conclusion that as important as our children are, our spouses are, the things that we hold sacred in our lives, as important as those things are, if they are positioned ahead of Jesus, they will feed your lack of trust. They'll feed your unbelief. But if they're put in their proper place, they'll find a life-giving element that perhaps you didn't know before. Something about ordering our lives around him that makes everything else work. Now, what John is telling us regarding this official is that there was death on the line, there was belief, and there was life. And there's sort of a pattern here because Jewish people are very pattern-recognizing in the way that they write stuff. It isn't just words, but it's the pattern even their, even their poetry is, is thought for thought rhyming, not like, you know, um, I never seen a purple cow and I never hope to see one, but I can tell you anyhow I'd rather see and be one. And my last line that has that drive a Dodge Challenger that's purple doesn't rhyme, but purple's there. That's sort of Hebrew and perhaps, you know, lyrical poetry, which I know nothing more about than that in place. But if you read the scripture and you say, what is going on here? John is actually wanting us to ask ourselves, what is going on in here? Is everything about your life centered on the fact that you are made for God? 
I can't say God is made for you because God wasn't created, but in a sense, God by design recognized that it's very good when we are in a circle. And he wants that desperately. And as Jesus is doing these acts of miracles that meet us on a very basic level, you sort of see a change happening from the way John tells it. First, the guy's an official, which meant that he was an upper-level level bureaucrat, which meant that if he came into the room and you could get your picture taken with him, and, hey, you could send that to all your friends and say, hey, guess who showed up? Got my picture taken with him? This is really cool. But as John tells it, he says, he just kind of says, now the man, and then as we, re- as we read today, the father. It's almost like in the pretentiousness of life, in the way that we kind of posture ourselves and position ourselves, it gets down to the reality of it. The reality is you're a father desperate to see your child healed. My heavenly father wants to see you desperately restored back into the place where he designed you creationally to be to begin with. You see the connection there? And the woman at the well, she also had to recalibrate the significance of what was going on in her life. Because when she met Jesus, she said, you know, the man, you're just a dude. We're at the water well. We're talking. Don't know you from Adam. You don't know me. And then he says something that says, oh, you do kind of know me. You must be a prophet. So all of a sudden, he's, he's a little bit more significant in her mind, like, wait a minute, This guy has something to say, and it hits a little close to home. And then she says at the end, I met the Messiah. Isn't that weird? How we don't always see things as they are. It's funny talking to Brian today because Brian and I meet every morning. We have prayer uh, for, for the church and the worship and stuff. And then sometimes we've got a little bit of time, we talk about cars. You shocked? So Brian's perennial concern has been the headlights on his car won't flip up. And he's told me the whole story, and I'm like, memo to self, don't buy a car with headlights that don't flip up because that's, that's going to be your nightmare. So I asked him, how's it going? And it, and it chronically is that, and he, and he lights up. Um, bad pun. But he, he just, he, his face brightened. You know what I mean. Okay. I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, I didn't realize this, but... Um, Evidently, Surrett's dad uh, is an electrical genius. Uh, he said, can I work on your car? And um, he's like, okay, I guess. Don't want you to, really. But you're my father-in-law, and I'm going to respect my wife's father. Sure, go ahead. So he comes back, and he's got all mapped out. He's got all the relays and switches and everything lined out, and it's mocked up, and it's working beautifully. And he's like, I never knew. I never knew that he had that. He's, you know, we don't even speak the same language in our own house. And here he is doing something that is really not anything I imagined he was even interested in, let alone capable of. But isn't that the funny thing about when you meet somebody? And the thing that I, I like about meeting people is I'm good at a few things, but you guys are all good at some things too. And there's, there are Many, everybody that I meet does something better than I do. I'm okay with that in Christ because what I learn is, hey, they got something to share. I can learn something from you. 
I don't feel threatened by that because I, I just stay in my wheelhouse and I just kind of do what I do and I try to do it well for you. But when I meet new people, I'm not, I'm not asking the question, how am I better than them, like the world would say, so I can get on top. But when I meet new people, I'm like, what has God wired you to do that's so cool? And that's what's so fascinating about talking to you guys because I discover things about you that I, I just honestly did not know. And I still learn stuff about you guys. I'm like, wow, really? And when God sees you and I, he sees a whole lot more. I mean, I can't even imagine what the new creation is going to be like because all the stuff that jammed up our unbelief will be gone and all the good stuff that centers us in the reality of the Lord will just come out naturally. It'll just flow out of our being, like back in the garden. I don't know what all that beautiful stuff is, but many people are just introverted because they don't really want people to know because they don't trust this world that we're in. But the place where there is no evil, no sin, no sickness, no death says it is a completely safe environment for you to be everything that God called you to be in a way that God says this is how you are that new creation. But Jesus is stepping into lost and broken space and he's showing himself but the people are saying I see you Jesus but I don't see you and like the guy whose son had the, 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 the fits of, um, of, of, uh, of, of just the uncontrollable fits he said help me to see what I can't see. Help me to trust what I can't trust. So where do we wind up with this guy? Scripture tells us very clearly, as we go back to John 4, it concludes with the fact that um, he not only heard about Jesus and paid attention to him and said, hey, you know what, can you, can you fix my kid? I'll just, that would be great because if you're a great faith healer, then that's awesome. But you've done something more. You've shown me that you are able to do this stuff at a distance. Only God can do things at a distance. So he goes back and he tells his whole family. And his whole family says, Dad, because you are trustworthy and you say it's so, we trust you to believe it's so. Isn't that cool? So he must have been a person of integrity. If his household said, if you say it, then it's got to be the case. And that is a challenge for you guys, myself included. Do we represent well enough that when we say something, it can be trusted? And what Jesus was trying to tell the the. Um, the people that were surrounding the guy who was asking this question, you guys need a sign, otherwise you're not going to believe. And I want you to get to a place where just every time you hear my word, you trust that it's, it's the case. So I remember a story that was told to me about a, a family that um, the pastor ended up teaching in a seminary. The family had a daughter that was deathly ill, and they prayed for her recovery and a restoration, and they had people that were friends praying for them, and 
they didn't go to church. And they kind of believed, and they were desperate. And the pastor said, we sent prayer chains out. We had people praying all over the world for this family and their kid who really, you know, only came to him because he was a pastor and potentially, out of desperation, could provide some kind of way to heal this. And wouldn't you know it, doctors said, terminally ill, and she got better. She regained her strength and her vitality and her health, and the doctors said, we don't know what happened, but your daughter is fine. So that whole family started coming back to church. And they came back to church for about a month. And then two weeks into it, it was just mom and dad. And then two more weeks, nobody. It was like, yeah, that, that happened. But it wasn't that meaningful. And this guy saw something that I think only Jesus could enable. And that was the ability to recognize that it isn't about the healing here. This story isn't really about my son. It's actually about me and where my heart is with you. And the evidence of that is the progression of belief that happens to awareness, to saying to his whole household, hey, guys, we need Jesus as our Savior. And they said, yes. And every Sunday we say, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And perhaps you've responded. And maybe if you haven't, then we'd just like to help you with that unbelief, with that thing that is getting in the way. Or that person that you know that is so close and important to you that you can bring us on board to pray for, that God will bring about that change. Because I don't think it'll happen unless we ask or unless other people are asking for us. But at the end of the day, you are made for God. And there's no other place that you will find contentment or peace except with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just take this moment and we ask you to speak to our hearts as we just absorb what happened in this man's life and how he saw your son and the progression of his understanding continued to unfold in a way that he decided that nothing else matters except for myself and my family to know you and to serve you. And Lord, I pray for everyone that's gathering in this worship space and everybody that's with us online that if there's any of us that are in these circles, Lord, that do not trust you as our Lord and as our Savior, I pray, Father, that you would work in their hearts to bring about a place of belief that trusts in the reality of your presence, the profound love that you have for them, and the awareness that you are calling us out of darkness and into your wonderful place of life. 
Lord, I just pray that you touch every person that's hearing this message with that awareness and that you break down any strongholds that might keep that from happening and that you take the scales that are on our eyes and remove them so that we see with clarity. Lord, I just pray that for everyone here who is within earshot of the words that we shared. And I pray for all of us, Lord, help us in our own unbelief that we can be even more anchored in the reality of that which is true and loving you, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. sing this song kind of an invitation if you'd like to stand and sing if you'd like to sit and reflect on the words whatever you feel like doing
when all is lost but to know you to carry the cross knowing I'm found in the light of the aftermath let's just have a seat for a second I don't know how you guys like these communion wafers, but the one thing I like about them is that they're round. And I'll tell you why, because just as the story went from Cana to Cana, a lot of things with God are really kind of circular. Now, I imagine the early church when they met, they didn't meet in rows like this. You know, you got Peter and his family and, you know, Barnabas over here and Paul over there. It was always a circle. There's always a sense of community where people are doing this together and then they are looking and watching at each other and they're affirming that they are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That there's a camaraderie that happens when we're of the same circle. And it's not a closed circle, it's an open circle that says anybody can come in. But that circle actually defines our identity in a way that says when we go out there and we see each other, we're actually seeing brothers and sisters that we break bread with that have one thing in common, regardless of the fact that many of us don't have a lot in common, is that we elevate Jesus as primary in our lives. And that's the glue that holds us together. So for 2,000 years, we've been instructed in Acts 2 to break bread, to have fellowship, to have prayer, to read Scripture. And that tradition forms the circle that defines the people. And so when you take the loaf and the cup and you remember him, you're kind of remembering who you are, who we are together, and whose we are together. So let's remember him. Let's take the loaf and the cup. Let's thank him. Ask for anything that we need to reconcile with him about to be sorted out. And then um, can I have Jason come up and invite you to another circle of gathering that we're trying to create? Same camaraderie. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we pray that you bless this loaf and this cup, that it would be a way of just affirming the reality of your presence as we consume it. Not just your presence with us, but your presence in us. So please bless it accordingly as we take it together. Amen. going to show about a minute and a half video trailer. Now Jason come up and kind of share what we got going on on Wednesdays coming up. What you meet when you meet any man is usually his elaborate, well-designed fig leaf that we call the false self. 
or the poser. We are leading with the parts of us that we think are going to get us praise and we're hiding everything else that we are certain if we were exposed, we would be rejected. Had a job ever since I was 11 years old. And I said, that's it. That's it. That's where I'll find my validation. It's just hard work. I was faking it. And my greatest fear was being exposed. We're looking for a genuine masculine strength. We're looking for a trueness in us as men. And the poser is in the way. In our journey to the recovery of the image of God in us as men, we've got to be honest about the poser and set him aside. Good morning. So, just for a second, I'm, I'm speaking to all the, the men in the room. Uh, ladies, we, we might be able to involve you in one here at some point, but you guys have had your own thing and you've set a good example for us as men. But I, I felt uh, a few years ago I had the opportunity to do this study uh, with a group of men, um, and, and it made a, a, a great impact on my life. So, you know, there, there's a reason that us guys, us, us men, we, we, we like things with engines. We like red meat cooked rare. We like tools. We like anything that you would think. And there, that, that, you know, young, young boys, Kendall will tell me about the kids in, in her classroom and they're, they're, pretending to have sword fights and you know there's a reason that God created us as men the way we are there's a reason we think the way we think and we don't have to be we don't have to apologize for it and this study I'd, I'd love for everyone to be involved with this whether you're young or young at heart because we all have the opportunity to offer a lot to each other through this study and it can help you understand why you're here on earth why we think the way we think and I just want to invite everyone here to that opportunity I think it'll be it's gonna be great it's a great book I am NOT a reader if any of you know me I'm not a reader and I'm not a public public speaker either but but this book is something that will change your life. And we've, we've, Leonard and I chose six weeks. That's all it's gonna be, six weeks. Six straight weeks, an hour and a half of your time. Most of us, well I shouldn't say most of us, but many of us could spend that amount of time on our phones in the evening. But an hour and a half, six weeks, if you can commit to that, I guarantee it's gonna change your life. The details are all right here in the handout, and um, it's not just limited to, to you, but anybody that you know that um, you feel like could benefit from this, we just want to invite you to join us. 
So we'll be gathering here on, on Wednesday nights starting May 17th. So thanks, Jason, for leading. And we were having an elders meeting, just a backstory, and we were talking about men gathering, and Jason just said, I, I feel called to lead this. So if God calls us, he'll give us what we need to do it, and I believe he'll call you to be a part of it. Let's, let's close in prayer and um, ask God to go with us. Lord, we just pray that your blessing would be upon us, that you would guard us, and that you would keep us, and that you would direct our lives even as we trust you with the path. Pray, Father, for everyone here as they go into their week that they would know your abiding presence, and on that journey, you would strengthen our faith. And I pray, Father, for the people that you put in our path, that we would see the significance of who they are as you see them and not as we see them. And I pray, Father, that if we need to say a word, that you would give us that word uh, that uh, speaks into their lives uh, the truths that are from you. And so thank you, Father, for making us your church, but also calling us to be salt and light to a world that, um, as we all know, is on a race to the bottom. May we just elevate the humanity of everyone around us as we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.